Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. Hi there, welcome to IDA, where we address how you can ideate, decide, act on the business topics we talk about in each episode and apply them to your own startup. My name is Ganika Pinnam. And I'm Varika Pinnam. We're the founders of IDA, Ideate, Decide, Act. At IDA, we connect female founders to investors, one-on-one mentoring, and resources to help grow their business. In today's episode, we have Megan Lamley, sales expert and owner of her own marketing company, and she's joining us today to tell us all about her sales tips. Thank you for being here, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on because sales is always like a tricky concept for so many people. So we're really excited to learn from you today. Yes, I feel like there's a lot of fear when it comes to sales. And it's like my whole goal was just to make sales fun and easy because I was like, when you make more sales, you make more money. And I was like, who doesn't want to make more money? <laughs> exactly. And um, I'd love to know how you got like, um, into this industry or if you've always been interested in sales? No. So actually my sales background starts back when I was in the corporate business world. So I actually started working at a t-shirt shop and that's where I fell in love with business. But we had, so it was in Vail, Colorado, which is like a ski town. And we had the most expensive t-shirts in this like one mile strip. And so our average t-shirt was like 12 to $15 where like other shirts were like $5. And so unintentionally I got introduced into the world of sales, but then I worked for a pretty big massage company that has like massage memberships. And that's when I like fell in love with the hustle of sales because we made commission. And so with that, the commission was nice because it definitely pads your paycheck and like being a broke college kid, I wanted the extra money, but then it also became this like competition on how, basically how to get people to say yes without having to handle a ton of objections. And when I got into the coaching space, I was like your standard business and marketing coach because that's what I knew and I loved. And that was like the bread and butter. But I realized I was talking more and more to my clients about sales and how to sell more and diving into sales psychology. And it's funny because I flew out to Vegas to see a friend and her and her fiance, we were all driving to dinner and I was sitting in the backseat and I told him, I was like, I want to move in exclusively to sales and be a sales expert, sales coach. But we all had a mutual friend who was currently like the biggest name in the industry. And I was like, I'm terrified to move into her space. 
And kid you not, my friend's fiance turns around and is like, you should just do it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And so right before the pandemic, I was like, I want to be a sales coach. And then COVID hit like a week later and everyone's like, are you sure you want to talk about sales? And I was like, absolutely. Because I wanted people to have financial security through the pandemic. And so it's one of those things like looking back, I never realized it, but now I'm like, I literally could talk about sales all the time like I do with my friends and family. And they're like, I don't understand why you're so obsessed with it. And I'm like, it literally creates money, guys. I'm like, it's the best thing ever. Yeah, um, that's awesome that you launched um, like right before because that, that is a tricky time to launch. And I know you had a very successful launch during COVID. So if you could take us through like your like launch prep and schedule, I think that'd be really helpful. I think with launching, there is a lot of fear around it. And so I actually just got out of a launch today, another multiple five-figure launch, which it's kind of coming down to a science. The biggest thing that a lot of people miss is like the prep work, like you said. And so it's really having a warm-up period that allows your audience to become aware of the problem that they're having and how your program or service provides the solution and then how you uniquely like provide that. Because the thing a lot of people don't realize is women, which... All of our audiences are mainly women. Women have taken over the female entrepreneurial space online specifically. They buy from relationship. And so understanding in the beginning, in that prep work phase, you need to be building relationships, getting on live video, just continuing to tease your offer to be able to have a very successful launch. The other thing is, is I think a lot of people give up because they open up the doors and they're like, nobody's buying right away. And I'm like, Well, if you think about it, nobody buys right off the bat unless it's something that you know and love before. I was on a live days ago and I was talking about um, Taylor Swift and how she pops up, she releases this album and people are like, I want to do that. And I'm like, okay, but she's been doing this for the last eight years. And so that's the other thing is like in your live, you have to consistently show up and be super strong within that launch. I remember that it was the Thursday night and I closed cart Friday and I was like, I was literally in tears and everyone's like, it was such a successful launch. And I was like, it was a successful launch, but it was one of the highest pressure situations I've ever put myself in business because we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm like the most stubborn person I know. So I'm like, I'm not moving my launch. Everybody else is moving their launch. Like I'm not doing it. And I remember going to my coaches and being like, what can I do? And I was like in tears. And I think that's the other thing people don't realize when it comes to launching is have a support system when you're going through that. And so for me, it's like when I think about my launches, um, as weird as it sounds as a woman, I plan around my cycle because like I don't want to be on my period when I'm in a launch. Like it may be TMI for some people, but like that's just not a time of month I want to show up and be vibrant. I also plan around, you know, are my coaches going to be available friends and family type of support that way when I need help, because everybody needs help in a launch, I have that available. And then also just like, just like business calendar wise and what's going on inside of like, I get a lot of moms into my programs. And so I made sure that I wanted to launch right before back to school for this current launch. The last thing that a lot of people do not do is they give up halfway through the launch and you have to hold out for the last minute Linda's. My audience right now is currently, they buy like, at the last minute. And I was like, why do they do that? And then I realized I'm that type of person. I'm the person who's like watching cart close and I'm like, oh, next round, next round. It's 1130 at night. And then I'm clicking the buy button. And so understanding how your audience buys can help you be able to set up a launch that allows you to perform in that moment. And so for me, it's like, 
inside of my own launches, I make sure that there's a lot of time at the end for me to show up and ask questions and those types of things. But with that launch specifically, there were two really big pieces that helped it. One, I had just a straight up call out post of like, this is what you're going to do. And I know you're going to do it. And a lot of people don't realize you have to call people out and say like, I understand that you're going to say next round or something else like that. And it's just like, if you're going to wait till next round, what is the plan B? And the plan B doesn't include sitting in my DMs for the next 90 days. And then the second piece was, is that I did a support call. And so I had people come together and really experience me as a coach. And that really helped them decide if I was a good fit for them or if I wasn't. And the people who I wasn't a good fit for, that was completely fine because I did end up getting most of my people in the last 48 hours. And so it's just like, you have to hold out for those last minute Lindas. Like, I just tell people that like if I could repeat something over and over on this podcast interview, like last minute Lindas are the people who buy and you just have to hold out for them. (laughs) Great tip. No, that definitely makes sense. And one of the things that you said that really stood out was definitely that a lot of people do purchase last minute, especially when like the sale is ending or like the window is closing. That's when they're like, okay, I guess I do really want it. Uh, That's when they make the decision. And towards the end, you were saying, uh, hold out the window for these people. Like what are some, how are some ways that you do that? So not in that launch specifically, because since I've done that launch, I've launched, I want to say two or three more times. Um, Some big things is just doing some front-facing objection handling. And I actually have a post that I regularly use that it literally says like, I want this, but, and then it's like, choose your own objection because growing up, my brothers, so I have three older brothers and they were super into like the choose your own adventure books. And I remember trying to think about like a dynamic way to handle objections. And I was like, oh, this would be really cool because like I liked those books too. I thought it was weird. You would flip through the book. But with that, like talking about the reason why people are holding themselves back and then relating to it. And so when it comes to objection handling, like it's going to be time, it's going to be money. They're going to want to wait till next round. Maybe they want to know what's different about this program versus other programs, or maybe they just invested in a course. And it really helps people have that conversation that they need to have because fear is always going to hold us back. But we have also created a society that doesn't act like we don't ask for help naturally. We want Mm -hmm. to be like the Steve Jobs or the Bill Gates of our space. And so you have to open up that conversation. The other thing is, is just like inside the space, we have literally coined them last minute Lindas. And so I will literally start a story and be like, last minute Lindas, if this is you, like put your sound on. Because then they're like, oh, I am somebody who like I wait to buy. With Mm -hmm. women consumers specifically, having support calls and having that opportunity for them just to ask you questions can also help them because as women consumers, we want to be seen and heard and valued and we want to feel like there's a relationship. And a lot of times we want to be like, oh, well, if they're going to ask questions, they're going to, you know, they're going to come to me. And most of the time they don't. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other biggest things too that I've started doing inside of my launches is having people explain why they joined the program because that allows them to understand like, hey, this is actually a really good opportunity. And this is why somebody else joined. So I'm going to join. But in that last, like I tell people like the last 72 hours of your launch, you will make the most money until you get established. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, And you mentioned having, you know, calls with people and stuff like that. And so how do you cycle like between 
kind of a launch-based, limited-release type of business versus something that's always on where the cart is always open. Because, you know, especially as you're growing and stuff, you won't have always the time to have those calls, right? So what's your opinion between, like, a launch-based business versus something that's always on, available to check out at any time? It really depends on your consumer and how they like to buy from you. So if you think about business, being specifically in sales, there are pieces of my programs that will always become available. Like I'm leaning very heavily into buyer-based psychology and bringing that into the space in a course. I would say courses and bundles and smaller things are great to keep always available because people can come in, they can binge it, and then they can move up your product suite. When it comes to group programs, your one-on-one if you're an early stage coach um, and those types of things, then you want to launch them so that you can bring people on. The biggest difference between Evergreen and launching is just how you have a cash infusion inside of your business. And Mm -hmm. so even thinking about holistically as your business, I know in the first five years, it's hard to think like, what am I doing five years from now? But looking at the next six months thinking like, okay, if I launch a group program from there, is there something I can downsell to maybe get more people in the funnel to then relaunch it? So kind of stacking your income. Now for me personally in my business, I will have a course always available and then I will have some lower ticket offers that will be like under $27 because I'm also that person who's like, I look at the price and then I'm like, ooh, I don't know. But then I have no problem spending like $30 at Starbucks in the morning because I'm like, need my caffeine in large (laughs) quantities. And so thinking about you, your business and how you function. Um, I also always have intensives available, which people can come in and do like a 60 minute call, which is a really good structure if you're starting to book out your business. And even as a service provider, you can do that where it's like you get to just put your eyes in someone's business for 60 minutes and dump all this love into them. And then, you know, they over the next two weeks get to implement things, but you don't have to take tiny little steps over time. So it's also thinking about, you know, where's my ideal client at? What are they craving? How can I support them? And then thinking about your business in that six month increment versus just like a month at a time. Great tip. Um, I love that. So like the difference between um, evergreen and launch base and you touched on uh, service providers there for a second. So, you know, kind of moving away from like the one-on-one coaching and things like that. Let's say you're a service provider and you're doing like an app or like a platform, something like that. Right. Or, you know, Um, a traditional service like a brick and mortar service, for example, what are some actionable sales tips there when it's not um, a one-on-one client or, you know, B2B or something like that? Brick and mortar is changing for sales, which I think is super duper interesting. And it's really focusing on making the client a champion. It really used to be the company being the champion and coming in and doing that. And we saw that with like, Nike bringing in people like Michael Jordan, like way back when, I mean, before I was, I might've been alive. I don't know, but like Starbucks <laughs> doing the things that they have. And so with everything that's shifted, it's really positioning the customer as, you know, they're the hero of the story. And so I think brick and mortar sales, it's very much like meeting the customer where they're at. And then obviously safety regulations and those types of things. As a service provider, if you're doing a platform or an app, I would recommend doing a launching basis for a little bit to create some urgency and scarcity because Mm -hmm. scarcity is such a driver for sales that a lot of people don't realize. Like, this is probably my favorite thing to tell people, but the idea that something can run out is a stronger driver than something actually running out. That's why everybody and their mom went and bought toilet paper because they thought that toilet paper was going to run out. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And so 
creating that inside of platforms and apps in the beginning can help kind of move it. As Mm -hmm. you do what I would recommend at least doing two live launches and I'm using my air quotes, but doing like a, okay, everybody get in, get some social proof, show them how it works, close it, and then do that again. That will help create urgency to then create an evergreen funnel. But even just like service providers and their services, you have scarcity with how many people you can serve and your services, but you don't go through a typical launch as like what a coach would do. And so with that, just be very careful of your time. I see a lot of service providers burnt out in the space because they just want to keep taking on clients and they're afraid to raise their prices. And I'm like, if you get to like that capping point, one, outsource, and then two, raise your prices, you're in demand, like make sure you're paying yourself above the poverty line, which I hate to see with people. But then at the same time, like if you're growing a business, like don't hesitate to pay yourself more. Like if you're being a CEO and you want to go get a massage or go get your toes done or, you know, spend money at an expensive grocery store, like you can up your prices. And that kind of helps with that urgency and scarcity. Yeah. Okay. I, I like what you touched on there um, for really few important points. Um, one about, you know, that scarcity and like, especially as you're growing initially, like, you know, you want to scale up, but initially you might want to be like smaller and um, be more one-on-one and keep it like a limited launch, like you were saying, just so you can build out that evergreen funnel. So yeah, that's definitely important. And then also about um, branding and stuff, like how you were saying, like making the the customer the hero and not the company, that's super big. And that's something we always talk about as well. Yeah, the consumer's getting smarter, which I was talking to my boyfriend about the other day. I was like, the consumer's changed so much because a lot of the consumer is growing up and it's people who are our age who like very much lean into like, we want to be the hero. And so with that, I think a lot of times people focus so heavily on their professional branding in the beginning. And it's truly the messaging behind the branding and what it makes the person feel. Because Women are, we're emotional buyers. We get triggered by an emotion, whether it's happy or sad. Like that's why Target has become an experience. It's no longer a store. It's an experience, which is crazy. But Mm -hmm. it's we get triggered by emotions and then go ahead and buy. And so when you're thinking about your business and it's literally any business, you want to think about the emotion behind it. Like for me in sales coaching, it was like freedom. I wanted people to have this permission slip to basically be whoever they want and not have money be something that holds themselves back. And it was like, for some people, you know, that's a very modest lifestyle. And for some people, that's like, you know, as much money as they want to spend. But thinking about how you can bring that into your customer and positioning them as the hero makes it so much easier to sell because they already have created this affinity of like, this brand is going to take care of me. And so when I make that transaction, because you vote with your dollars, then, you know, I'm going to feel good about it versus like, I remember I had to get a windshield like a couple years ago and I just was not a fan of it. I was like, why do I need a windshield (laughs) for my car? I was like, this wasn't, it wasn't an enjoyable experience at all either. And it wasn't their fault. It was just like the timing of everything. And then when I literally went and got a new truck, I was like, oh, this was the best thing ever because I literally felt like they had positioned me in a place of like, this is a new vehicle for you. You've had such great achievement. Like it's so important. I will side note though, when I bought my truck, it was from my own sibling. So that also could help the situation. But <laughs> customers want to be valued. They work hard for their money and we should 
you know, really taking on this idea of like the people who invest in us, we like as a coach, I'm forever grateful because it's a lot of money. But as a business, it's like they can pick so many other places and they picked you. So why not give them that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. French Target's a great example. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, you know, we were just talking about is how like women who are, you know, majority of the purchasers, it's, you know, it's women that we are usually targeting, even when you see like Target and even you see a lot of uh, classes, because I guess as women, we do, you know, look for like self-improvement or like, you know, wanting to gain new skills and like uh, make ourselves better for tomorrow. Um, And in the beginning too, you mentioned that a lot of our audience is usually women. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how that mentality works when you're selling to women? Yeah. And kind of tagging on on that, women actually control 80% of the discretionary income in a household. So like women have the money. So most companies that target men, I'm like, I'm like, you're losing out on money. So women consumers and selling to women consumers is such a different thing because a lot of people think about it in a way of like, okay, you know, I'm going to sell to the man and I'm using very masculine techniques, which is like, get like a hundred no's or keep like handling the objection until they say no or coming very much like cold pitchy. This is why we've seen a lot of cold DMs in the online space, which are not a fan of those. Women want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to be valued. And so thinking about that on an emotional level, like I said, they do have to be triggered by an emotion. And so it's super duper important to figure out what emotion is going to trigger their purchase. Like you mentioned, self-improvement comes from two places. It's either like nothing's going right and you want to go buy a book on dating because you keep dating like the worst men ever, or you're in a really good place and you're like, I want to keep improving my skills. And so figuring out what is that trigger for them to buy, the trigger of the emotion is going to give them the problem that they're having. I always love to use dating as an example because dating and sales go hand in hand, just like marketing and like anything else. And so with that, thinking about what is the problem that they're having and the emotion they're having behind it. Now, women are picky where they want to have a relationship with whoever they're purchasing for. And so Mm -hmm. with that, you have to think about how can I make this consumer feel like they have a relationship? It's super easy in the online space to show up, be online video and those types of things. Now, if you're in a brick and mortar or more of a service provider, that's going to be bringing in your brand story and talking a lot about like, why did you pick to do the thing you do? Because in the world, you can literally be anything, like anything you want to do. I mean, there's Uber drivers in Vegas who make like six figures before the pandemic. And so tying in that emotion can create the relationship. Now with women specifically, we don't want to ever be backed into a corner. And a lot of traditional sales techniques are like, Mm -hmm. keep asking, like wear them down. So they say yes, which is absolutely disgusting in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so thinking about that is also a really good opportunity to think about your sales strategy and creating space in there for her to, you know, think about it or have a conversation with somebody and those types of things. But with them, it's very much an emotional and relationship sale where a lot of people, they want to take the emotions and they want to take the relationship out of it. And it's like, no, they need that to buy. Yeah, that's a um, great you know tip there because like building the emotional connection, I can see like that myself too. Like I'm definitely more inclined to buy from someone that I feel like I know, even if it's online. But, you know, how do you build, like, an audience of strangers? Like, like, how do you even get, like, of course, once you have the audience, you can say, well, like, let's hop on a call, like you were mentioning before. But how do you even, like, initially attract that audience? Because 
especially with like 80% being women, it's really important to build an audience first and not like wear them down, like you were saying. So there's a little bit of a mindset that comes around sales that like if you sell to your audience every day, you're super pushy and it's it's not like that. But building an audience comes from like having a reason why people should follow you. A lot of people struggle with this idea of like, okay, like I want to build it. I want to have the 10K. I want to have the swipe up because then I'm going to have a six-figure business, which I don't even have 10,000 followers and I have a multiple six-figure business, but you have to give them a reason why. And so for businesses specifically who target women, you have to bring in a personal relationship. And it doesn't have to be like, let me air all my dirty laundry on the internet because that is just like the worst thing ever. It's more (laughs) of like, what are the connection points for people to buy? So when I started my business, it was, I have two large dogs. I live in the state of Colorado. And then I also just am like a lot of people, they say there's two sides to me. I'm like super duper goofy and fun and vibrant. And then there's like a, okay, let's talk business. Like you're going to make millions of dollars side of me. And so bringing in some of that. And so with audience building, you also have to train them. And by training them means giving them value or something to come to your page every day. I started dating. I recently just got a boyfriend, but I was dating for like six months. And that was like one of my connection points for people because I'm 25 and I live in a military town. And so dating is like this whole different world here. And so I would share that information and people would come in for like me talking about dating. And then they would be like, oh, wait, she can actually teach me how to make money in my business. And so with an audience too, the other thing is, is like one cross pollinating podcast interviews have helped me grow my audience significantly because I have the opportunity to be able to get in front of audiences I never would. But Mm -hmm. then to go out and connect with people, like we have such a mentality to, if we build it, they will come. And it's like, go make some friends. It's social media for a reason. We've overcomplicated it. When they built Instagram as a platform, it was meant for a visual platform for connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like what you said about if you build it, they will come because you hear that a lot in like just startup space, business space, or it's like a misconception because if there's a need that people will automatically find it. But if the market is so saturated that the chances of them finding you are like pretty much impossible kind of. Um, especially like recently I was reading that like 90% of websites receive like zero organic traffic from Google. Like they're just never found. They're just sitting there. Um, and of course like a percentage of those are like dead websites, but still like, I'm sure there's a lot of like valuable websites out there that like never receive any traffic just because they're not putting themselves out there. Oh, I would agree a hundred percent. It's actually funny because I talk about it so much in the coaching space. I don't actually have a website in this moment. We have actually started building it. I have the URL. I've paid for the domain. We've thought about it. We've talked about it. We've had meetings, but like you don't need a website to build a business. And so many people mm-hmm. think that if you get professional branding and you have a website, then people will come. And it's like, no, you have to go where the people are at. It's very much like I always use fishing for this example. You don't go to a lake that has no fish and then expect to catch fish. You go to the lake with all the fish. And when it comes to business, like you have to go to your ideal consumer in the beginning because then they're going to create that affinity and follow you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, I was like reading too, like 50% of small businesses do not have a website. And, you know, definitely a lot of people struggle with making one, but I think part of it is also you don't absolutely need one. While while it is super important in the digital space, I think because of social media, there's so many other ways to build a community, like your email list or like Facebook groups and things like that. 
that, you know, people who are concerned about like the whole branding aspect, packaging, website, all of that, it's not absolutely necessary 100% from the get-go. No, it is not. Email marketing, though, I used to believe email marketing was dead, and I was wrong. Email Mm -hmm. marketing is actually very effective because if you think about it, like, we guard our emails. Like, when you go to the store and they're like, what's your email? You're like, no thanks, especially Victoria's Secret. Oh, God, they're the worst. But (laughs) when somebody hands over that email currency, they're very much already interested in you. So it's like, okay, let me give them some value, and then you can consistently sell to them. And if they don't like you, the nice part is, is they can unsubscribe. I think that's another thing I've noticed in the business world is people are so concerned about who doesn't like you. And it's like, focus on the people who like you. They're going to buy from you. They're going to be the ones shouting you from the rooftop. And it comes back to women in relationship. If you're not a good fit for somebody who you maybe have talked to and network with, if somebody else has a problem arise, what do you do? As a woman, we go ask our five best friends. We're like, hey, I need a recommendation. Send me your best person. And then all of a sudden, that person who you've connected with and value they're going to like be that champion for you. I think a lot of businesses in the digital space forget that like word of mouth marketing is still really good. Oh yeah. It's super, super high conversions and like obviously free too. So it's super great. And email, like you said, like even I used to believe that because we just get so much spam in our emails that you never check, but the like the really, you know, um, guarded email, like, you know how we have a spam email and then we have like our good email that we protect. Right. So like, Definitely, I saw statistics like email marketing um, for every $1 that you would spend on it returns like $44 on average, which is insane, right? So it's definitely um, important for like listeners out there too, if you haven't built out your email list or haven't been using email marketing to nurture your audience, um, keep that in mind. Yeah, it's a really good avenue in the beginning too. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Megan, you shared a lot of um, awesome tips today. It was really great having you on the show. Do you have any last minute words or, you know, wisdom for listeners about sales, um, you know, getting over that ickiness about sales, anything like that? When it comes to sales, I think there's a very strong mindset around sales. And specifically, women have this idea that like, if I sell, I'm going to be like pushy and it's just not going to feel good. And I feel the, like I hear the word icky all the time around it. And mm-hmm. when you think about sales, the biggest thing to remember is that one, anybody can say no at any time. And it's not a personal attack against you. If someone says no, it is no to the opportunity. And it's not a no forever. The other thing is, is that when you're selling, you're presenting an opportunity to someone, whether it's to better their life, their business, their fitness, their health, anything like that. And so with that, just remember that like you're just presenting the opportunity. It's their decision whether or not to take it. But I've been selling every single day to my audience since I want to say like May or June and it's August now. And I, I've had a few people come and they're like, you really sell a lot. And I feel like it's always a sales pitch here. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm like, I may not be your cup of tea, but there's so many other people out there who are like, they're locked and loaded when it comes to my stuff too. And so as a business, just remember like the people who love you will buy from you and they don't care if you sell. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, focusing on the audience, like your ride or dies, like that's a really important tip and not, um, you know, who's not meant for you, right? So absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was super fun to talk to you today. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a fellow entrepreneur. Thank you for listening to Ida and you can find us at thinkida.com. Until next time, ideate, decide, act.